0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Village Global Venture Stories. I'm here today joined by a very special guest, uh, Village Global Portfolio CEO, Kevin Gibbon, uh, founder and CEO of Airhouse and previously founder and CEO of Ship. Uh, Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited. So, so, Kevin, by way of introduction, why don't you describe what Airhouse is? And then let's talk about the journey of uh, how you came to start it.
1: Yeah. So what Airhouse is, it's an end-to-end fulfillment solution for e-commerce companies. So if you... And specifically, if you're creating your own physical product. So after you've set up your online store, um, after you manufacture your product, um, how do you get it into your hands of your customers? That's what we really help with. And there are other solutions out there, but what we want to make it as easy as... Shopify, a Stripe, um, Name Your Favorites, AWS. Um, We really want to help entrepreneurs focus on what is unique about their product that they're selling. And really it comes down to two two things. It's the product, the need for the products, and and your marketing. And so we just want to be that kind of third leg there to, to really help you um, get get your product in the, your hands, your customers without having to hire a huge operations team.
0: Talk about the journey of, of how you came up with the idea of Airhouse and how it sort of ties to, to some of the work you were doing at SHIP.
1: Yeah. So SHIP, um, for anybody who doesn't know what what we did, we were we started as um, and we were known as a consumer uh, shipping it was kind of the Uber for shipping. So you would take out your phone if you wanted to ship something, sell something online, send a gift, send a return back, take a picture of whatever you um, want to ship, um, tell us where it's going on your phone, request a pickup. Um, we'd show up at, at the time that we would actually say, um, and then we'd handle everything. And you could give it to us unpackaged or packaged. And so what we actually did and what we built is we built a full stack solution. So we had all of the eight, like we built everything on the technology side internally ourselves. And also we even had our own uh, couriers that would come pick you up. Eventually we had our own vans that would be branded. Um, and we also had our own warehouses that we would lease leased as well. And we, the reason we did all of that is because we thought that it needed to be that much better. I'm a, I'm a really, 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 really big proponent of like your product needs to be 10x better than what anything else is out there. And so the thought process there was that we had to actually control everything for it to actually be that much better of an experience versus having to walk to the UPS store or um, trying to schedule a pickup with FedEx or UPS or having to package yourself and everything. Um, and that actually turned out to be true. We, we had a lot of fanfare with, with ship. People love the product. Consumers loved it. They started shipping more. It was a really great product, but a lot of problems actually like, but and also we, we took a lot of VC funding. So we we raised um, $63 million total in funding. We had amazing um, people um, that joined the company and also our board. We had world famous, um, investor John Doerr, who uh, was one of the like I think the, the, one of the first investors in Google and also Amazon um, and a number of other ones, joined our board, and everybody was really excited. And we were really thinking we were bringing, we were building the next basically Uber for shipping. But a lot of the problems that we ran into was I think the biggest thing was that we had a really great fit with consumers. Um, and that was awesome. They loved this. They told everybody they knew about us, but the frequency of use was just so low, as you can imagine. And, I, and I, I got this criticism early on, and and I knew it as well. And we all the team knew as well. And our plan was is that we were going to go up market. We we're going to go to SMBs. We we're going go to go mid market. We we're going to go to enterprise, and we would build this like core piece that would like it's just this the shipping like hub that we kind of just plug in a bunch of different products. I definitely say for any entrepreneurs that are listening, that is not a good idea. Um, I would say start with what you actually think is going to be the best fit and scale it from there. And so a lot of the problems that we ran into is that we had to have physical locations in every single market. So at our height, we were in five different locations. We had over 300 employees, uh, we, we actually were able to manage that very well. Like even in all of our cities or it, it was the, the product was sold the same and we were very, very careful on the quality that we provide for our customers. And that actually did scale. But the problem was, is that there just wasn't enough fault. So for us, we had a lot of um, operational expenses that we had to actually put into a market to launch it. So we had to have a warehouse. We had to have, actual physical uh, machinery inside of the warehouse. We had to have um, a certain amount of staff on board at any given time to be able to provide the level of service that we that we wanted to actually provide for our customers. And that just really, it costs, and then also marketing and customers and knowing that we exist and all of these things. And so there was just a lot of upfront capital that we needed to invest, invest into it. So looking back at that, I'd say, and we could definitely dig more into this. And this is a, a very long-winded answer to your question. Uh, looking back at it, I, I really don't think that it was a VC backable company the way that we started, just going after consumer. I think we had a great fit, but the market just isn't big enough, and uh, it, it's just it takes too much capital uh, to to really make it profitable in every single market. Um, and so we went through a long journey. Uh, we did a couple rounds of layoffs. That was super, super, super tough. Um, we then went down to one market to San Francisco uh, to. Per- so we actually weren't even operationally profitable. Um, which, if if you think of any other VC company, like think of a SaaS company that, that's that's actually not not uh, profitable on the 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 money that they take in from their customers versus their expenses and the technology. That's insane. But that's what we were, and this this was in the kind of the height of uh, the remote control of your world and you could control everything. And th- there, were, there was a lot of uh, dollars, venture capital dollars being spent on actual physical infrastructure. Um, and that's not the case anymore, actually. And so we ended up, um, uh, we scaled back and we wanted to prove our profitability in San Francisco. We actually did that. And that was an awesome milestone the team ach- achieved And we we did a ton of different things and we built an SMB product and we were going up market and it was, it was really working. But at that time, um, it was just a little, it it was just too late. Um, I think we had probably $5 million to the bank at that time. Uh, We still had a pretty big team as far as engineering and everything goes and we had San Francisco operations and everything. And so, right into like the end day, trying to raise more capital to make that thing work. Uh, we just couldn't make it work. But what came out of that uh, is myself and my co-founder, um, Sarah, we we really saw a really big need for these column C brands, um, direct-to-consumer brands, like to call them, I like to call them digital first brands because they actually have a lot more channels than just, their DTC channel very, very quickly. And we saw a really big need on after you have a website, you have your marketing. So that could be you built a community somehow you have your um, advertising on Instagram, Facebook, you're doing whatever. There's so many different distribution channels out there. And also um, once you've either built a small batch of test orders or test um, products, Within the U.S. or internationally, you can actually scale uh, and outsource the manufacturing of your products actually very quite efficiently now. There's so many different ways you could do that. And what we saw a really big problem was is that once you get those sales and you get all these products manufactured, how do you actually get it into your hands of your customers? And that's really the problem that, that we saw and we thought that we could approach it. From a technology only uh, solution, and that's kind of the the problem and kind of where and why Airhouse was was born.
0: Totally, thanks for th- thanks for sharing that. And just to zoom out a bit and just talk about sort of more, you know, founder perspective, lessons learned. Say a bit more from the, about the ship experience in terms of generalizable lessons that you think other entrepreneurs uh, listening in can can appreciate or, or learn from.
1: Yeah, there's there's so many. So I think that knowing if your business really, I, I, I call it deserves. Um, if you use a different word, but I really think it is deserves venture capital money. Um, if you are taking venture capital money, and that's different than angel money. So let let's say if you're taking more than ten million dollars, you need to know that you're going to be able to really scale this thing. Um, at every single round, every investor is looking for a 10x return on their investment. And you need to know that going in. And that's the expectations. And so that was one of the biggest learnings for me is that, it, at, that at that time, I think we raised our, our, our $50 million round. Um, in 2015, the market was super hot. We had like so much interest from the best venture capitalists. And we are riding this Uber Wave and all of these services that would just come to you physically and all this stuff, and really not understanding your your bit like your business, your true business. And that's this is this is my second uh, time uh, founding a company. My first time, I'm I'm Canadian I'm from Vancouver, um, so I started a, a much smaller company there that also didn't work. It was a shopping app, and we, we don't really need to go into into that. But raised like. 100k or something like that from friends and family. And I think really understanding um, how, how is this going to turn into a $100 million business um, if you're going to be taking VC. If you're taking angel money and you want to create like a nice SaaS product that's going to be making 5 million ARR or something like that, that's, that's fine. And, and your investor is going to be fine with that. But I think that really setting knowing that yourself was a really big um, learning for me because also that's why you, you bring people around the table and that includes employees too. Like I, I sold people on this was going to be the next Uber, like from investors to employees to advisors to everybody and really didn't understand like for one, we had an amazing fit for the consumer, but then trying to then we're going to create another product and that's going to be the thing that, that's going to like, like actually make us to be the next Uber. No, actually what it turned out to be was that SMBs they, and also as we got even bigger, they wanted to completely outsource solutions. So how the service worked was we would come to you, we, we would pick up your stuff every day and like somebody that's running a business doesn't want that. They want you to like handle the stuff from their supplier get it into the hands of their customers when they sell. And so they can focus on everything else. And so I think it's really knowing start for one, starting with the thing that you think you're going to scale. And if you are taking VC dollars, really understand what, what that actually does mean. And, and knowing that you're going to have to return. Um, and, and if you're successful, if you fail fine, if you somehow the market changes or whatever, that like this is this is the, this is the whole VC world that we're in. But as an entrepreneur, I think that it seems that it's just so easy to get. It's not easy, but there's just so much capital out there right now. And, and uh, if you're a smart person and and you could sell people on it, you can convince a lot of people to take it. But if you don't really truly believe your understand your business and, and that if you are successful, you'll get there. You're going to have problems. Because when you're in, when you take that much capital on, there's so much pressure from everybody, from your employees, from your obviously investors in the boardrooms, even externally in the press as well. We did a great job of getting a lot of press, but there was just so much pressure, um, and we just weren't are we're not there, and, and that's not the business that that we have the greatest fit for. Um, that, and we should not, uh, TLDR, we should not have raised that much money. Uh, I think that that is a huge, huge, huge learning that when it's easy going, it's easier to raise money that uh, people, and I've heard, I've actually heard this advice right now, like uh, what we're going through right now at their house and we could talk about it as well, like COVID and we should definitely t- t- touch on that. Like is just accelerated e-commerce into like I don't know. Some people call it ten years ahead, and like we're we're like we're we're powering and we're kind of like the think of us as like the stripe of e-commerce yeah. if you kind of want to think. And I have so many invest- investors that uh, have reached out to be like take all all this capital, all this, but I just like for where we are right now. And the traction that we have, which is unbelievable. don't get me wrong I'm not going to say it's not, but like just know the stage you're at and take the capital that you can actually deploy and make sure everybody is as happy as possible and you will have the best outcomes
0: yeah let's let's segue into um, just sort of how how e commerce uh, and, and Dc have, have evolved before getting into covid just even in the time that you've been in it, you know, five years plus, why don't you talk about how you've seen the, the space uh, uh, evolve and mature and, and what opportunities have, have presented themselves as a, as a result? Yeah.
1: We'll I, I think there's a lot of things that have changed. So I think that the, the reason there are so many uh, digital first brands um, today or even just 10 years ago when they started like first coming out, like thinking about Warwick Parker and, and all of those different brand caspers and all that, like what, why did they have success versus the traditional um, CPG companies that would have all of their R and D and everything inside of these massive companies. I think that the biggest thing actually that changed distribution, I think that now the internet um, has really democratized the way that you could reach your customers. So there's so many different channels through Facebook, Instagram, um, even sharing on messaging, like that's, that's how I get a lot of the products that I buy online is through messaging with friends. That was really not a thing before. So I think that has completely changed versus going into like even before you buy things on the internet, like going before and you, you just browse the aisles to see what you want. Um, and that meant as a brand, you'd have to sell into a buyer and convince them and all of these things. And then you have the marketplace models, you have the Ebays and the Amazons and everything that they're great, obviously. Um, But I think that now you're, you're able to create a brand that could reach people directly. And then also the, the the other very important thing is that you can manufacture stuff. Um, You don't have to have that internally. You could outsource all of your manufacturing and it's really not that difficult there's like 3d printing you could have for prototypes and you could try it on your, your friends or what, whatever you're, you're, you're doing um, or have a small batch run of some clothing brand or w- there's so many different things that you could do. And then the other thing is that uh, you don't need to have an engineering team to build a lot of these things. So I think that's the major advantage that Amazon and eBay had initially is that you could go online you could enter a credit card and you could buy something on there now you there's so many other platforms there's shopify there's big commerce there's woocommerce there's all of these different platforms that you don't even need to have an engineering team for so i think that's the that's the really big change in e-commerce today and then and then covid is just that's just changed it because people don't want to leave the
0: house Totally. Let's get into into COVID in particular and, and what that means for sort of the medium term as a, as you know COVID ends at some point.
1: <laughs> yeah, it has to, right?
0: Hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I, I think I think I think that what it's done to e commerce. I, I think that uh, it's just accelerated everything, and I think that it's it's for one, it's forced people to buy things more on, more online. So I think that there's going to be a very short spike of just massive activity and people buying everything online, um, whether that's through Instacart, whether that's through your favorite DTC brand online, whether that's through anything. Um, but I think more importantly, and I think the thing that is actually going to stay is that it's going to get a lot of those people that never bought things online to be like, oh, this is actually pretty convenient. Um, and I think post COVID, hopefully that's very shortly that e-commerce is just going to have accelerated so much because you've brought so many of these people that never would have even considered buying things online uh, that, that now have been forced to do it. And now it actually is
0: a more convenient way to shop. Totally. What are the lessons we learned from the first wave of DTC brands and, and, and as you if you put sort of put your your vc hat on yeah how do you sort of evaluate you know what 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 dc brands or what you know subspaces are more likely to be successful versus others in in a venture context
1: so i i I predict that there's going to be this extreme long tail of like sub 20 million dollar brands that are extremely profitable and that's actually our goal at airhouse like i i I, I want to be able to power like a single entrepreneur to have a $20 million brand themselves and outsourcing absolutely everything. And, and, and we're handling um, this, this one major piece for them. But I, I think that if you look back at kind of the, the, the first generation of these DDC brands that uh, took a lot of VC dollars in, there are exceptions. Like I, I, I hear Warby Parker uh, is actually doing extremely well. Uh, and I take a lot of VC dollars, uh, but there, there was a lot of other ones that took a lot of VC dollars. In they were they were thinking that they were uh, tech companies wouldn't get tech multiples, and I think that that the if I if I do put my VC hat on, which I actually do not invest, and that's a rule of mine. I I, I have a singular focus, <laughs> and that's building one thing at a time, and that's Airhouse right now. But I think that um, a lot of VCs and also the entrepreneurs as well. um, And I take it even back to kind of my experiences with Ship. That like you don't you don't truly understand your business and what the actual opportunity is. Like a DTC brand, the defensibility that you have is not the same as a traditional technology company. If you if you think of somebody like a Facebook or um, any any sort any sort of company that has network effects, um, you don't have that. No no DVC company has network effects at all um, because you have a competitor They've come out and actually just copy exactly what you've done. And so what I think you're going to have happen is you're going to have a lot less. You're going to have you're still gonna have a lot of like I think a lot of seed and maybe series A investments going into DC brands. Obviously, there are exceptions, especially if the technology is crazy, hard to build, um, and you have a physical product. But I think that the the way that you the brands are gonna be built is just so much different. So I think you're just gonna have this very long tail of these like mass these. Very very profitable companies because everything's outsourced and you don't need a lot of these things. You don't need the infrastructure. You don't need all of these things. Of course, there are going to be exa- like exceptions. So, like the apples of the world, like there's the, you have a device and then you have an ecosystem. And you have all these things. Of course, it's going to be exceptions to that, or if the tech is very 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 hard. What's an example? like uh, I've heard uh, eight sleep. They, 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 I'm not sure if you know who they they are. They're, they're a mattress company. You know who they are? Yep. Yeah. So they, they, they claim that they could, that's, it's the, they get, it's a bed and they can actually, um, automatically know the exact, the the temperature that makes you go to sleep and better. And all these things, like, I don't, I don't know if that's like very defensible. I like my, my first my first thought is it is defensible for a couple of years, but then somebody else is going to come in and replicate it. And so I think that there's just going to be this very, very long tail of these DDC companies that outsource everything. And there's just going to be a ton of them. And that also I would say that these brands will not be selling through the marketplaces. I think that that is very clear that these brands will not be selling on Amazon. These brands will be going directly to the consumer through their own websites and they'll be shared through all these different channels. They could acquire customers, hopefully profitably through Facebook or Instagram or whatever new thing comes out. Um, So I think that's going to be the next generation. And the previous generation was just, took a ton of capital and they were really distributed like tech companies and they're really not. The defensibility just really isn't there.
0: And how should we think about um, to, to what extent brand uh, is defensible or what separates the brands that it, it defensibility is sort of a spectrum, the ones that are more enduring versus, versus the ones that are they're that less enduring or or other, other important criteria, uh, make or break criteria of uh, that will make a DTC brand successful?
1: I th- I think long term it's gonna it has to be net- network effects. So anything that has a network that you just can't like thoughts that come to mind would be like Peloton. I don't know if that's like initially. I, th- I think they have a, a few year head start, but I think I, there's going to be other. And I know there are, are other competitors that they have. But are your all your friends on there? Do you want to be on there? Do you want do you want to like so Peloton? is the the, the bike cycling um, company at home. Um, I think that that definitely is something that's like defensible, but I, I haven't seen like a a DDC company that that has the same defensibility that you would say like a Facebooker or, or a Twitter or or like a typical tech investment has. So I think that there still is going to be a, a ton of venture capital that's going to be invested but I think it's going to be in the early rounds. And I think that there's a, a ton of money to be made though. I think that, R, yeah. Do you know RX bar? Yeah. Yeah. So they, what do they sell? They, they sold for like 500, 500 million or something like that. Yep. I actually don't think they took any venture capital, but like if you were like an, an A, like a series A investor in that company, that, it's like a home run. That's amazing. So like, I think that the days of, Raising like like two hundred fifty million dollars for this DTC company that like is just amazing at customer acquisition um, and has like a, a really great product. I think those days are over because somebody's going else is going to come in and they're going to copy it and they're going to do it smarter, probably and cheaper, and all of those different things. So I think that's really that's 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 a major thing that's changed.
0: Yeah, talk about. How hard it is to uh, get a DTC brand off the gra- uh, ground, and how uh, Airhouse uh, makes it easier.
1: It really depends on what kind of DTC company you're looking to build. So if you're looking to build something that's just a hobby, that's different. And I think that you should talk to your friends or whoever, whatever people are going to be using your product, and make sure you, like validate it, and then build it, and then and then build it in, in low quantities. Make sure you're not like you're not spending too much money in inventory and probably do all all the fulfillment shipping yourself. You use a company like Shopify. um, If you're selling online and all those different things, I think that if you have like a a bigger idea um, you're, you're taking venture capital um, you're looking to really scale this. uh, I think there's a lot of different tools from the beginning that, that you like, you should, you should, Look to use, and and I, I personally think you should outsource absolutely everything except for your product and marketing. That's your, your unique thing. If you're looking to build something big, so there's obviously hire the best marketers you have. Hopefully, you yourself as a founder are an amazing marketer. I, I would think that's that's kind of baked into probably a lot of the the most uh, successful DDC brands. I th- I think the most important thing is having a unique product that solves some need for somebody. And I'm um, I'm actually a huge fan of Shark Tank. I'm kind of addicted to it. And I just I watch in the background all the time. Because I just I love all those entrepreneurs that that come up with all these like crazy things that you you never even think for this like segment of this market that, that maybe could be big or could not be big. So I think it, it really comes down to the to the product and the marketing and then alters absolutely everything that you, you possibly can. Um, so to go back to your question, how hard is it? I think it is. It's really hard. It's it's very very hard. I think that uh, entrepreneurship in general, whatever you're doing, is a fucking grind. Um, It is so hard. There's so many ups and downs you're gonna go through. Early on, you're gonna have uh, the the just you realize you have this thing that somebody wants and you're just, Oh my God, this will be the next whatever. And you're so excited. And then you kind of go through like the, the downs of like, Oh, this is really hard to do. And I, I would say that in any advice that I would have for any DDC entrepreneur is, is try to, um, for one, stay the course. If you think that you have something that people actually want and is unique, that is a very, very important thing. I'm very against, not, not against everybody do whatever you want to do to make money. But like, uh, the way that I think, like I, as, as I mentioned early on in the podcast, like I, I'm really passionate about building something ten times better than whatever else exists out there. So, so I, I would say to anybody who's looking to build their own brand, their own their own physical product, um, to make it ten times better than anything else. And if you know you could do that, and you know you have some unique knowledge or unique whatever, that's really really important. And then, and then just outsource everything else. And where Airhouse fits in is that once you are, are ready to start, either you, you take your venture capital money on. It could be as little as 100 k whatever it is. You're not looking for this to be a hobby, and you're not looking to ship this out of the, your garage forever. Look to outsource it to us. Um, so you're for Airhouse. We, we don't do any minimum, so... Um, you can ship us as much, as much as little as you want. We turn a process for, that takes, uh, typically, if you want to work with um, a warehouse. So in the industry, it's called the 3PL, third-party logistics. So what they do is that it's, it's basically a warehouse that you ship your products to, and then as they sell, they'll ship them out to you. But it's a, it's a very, very old industry. And it's the technology it's like based in like some of us based in the eighties. It's really hard for the modern entrepreneur to really use. And, and also you don't know who to use. Um, and that's kind of where we come in. So if you know, you want to scale something, you've manufactured your stuff, come to us. We'll turn a process um, that takes typically up to, I'd say up to six months sometimes, that you're, you're probably going to have to hire an operations manager to actually understand how to work with a lot of these different warehouses. We turn that into same-day onboarding. We turn that into, we'll sync with your Shopify store or whatever, wherever you, you sell on or your wholesale, wherever you're selling on, we'll make it really easy. We'll actually match you with the best warehouse uh, based on your product, which actually is a really, really big thing that people don't realize like not every warehouse can do uh, an apparel company that has two, or 3000 SKUs or a company that has very unique marketing requirements or even custom packaging. A lot of these, these warehouses don't do that. And so with us, we know exactly like just entering the information with us. We already have so many of the brands that are using us. We know exactly what to pair you with. Um, and then we just make everything just kind of work. So As items are selling, they just go out. We update tracking information and wherever you're selling. Um, And then there's a lot of things that we have planned in the future. But what we want to actually really enable is outsourcing that operations piece in your team. And that starts from a company that is looking to scale. So early on, looking to scale. Maybe you haven't taken on any venture capital. Maybe you just have something that's really taken off. And, and you don't want to like continue we've been to have have to the hire had like 10 part-time people that are labeling things and packing things and they're in their like in their office or their house or whatever like you should not be doing that like that's a waste of your time don't like give the managers people and everything just don't do that Outsource that. and so uh we see people that we could do that but also um we we want to actually enable the kind of the mid-market brand too so we we've actually seen a lot of of our customers that we can really just give more leverage to. So instead of you having to have an operations team that, um, and at scale, it's actually, they're huge. Like if you look at a company like um, a Casper or whatever, it's like half of their team away luggage, which is a bad example now, because they're not doing that well, unfortunately probably due to COVID, but, but like half their team is dedicated to to getting stuff to their customers. And so what we we're we're even seeing early on is that we just give so much leverage uh, to these companies. And those are the products also that we're going to be building as we continue to scale. We want to basically take what the best operations like teams uh, in the world, whatever they do, we will we will do that for you. And then we have this network of different 3PLs so warehouses today we're US only but we'll, we'll be expanding shortly uh, to other countries as well that you don't need to take a chance on you don't need, you don't need to to have a up to 6 month onboarding process and then realize that this warehouse is not meeting your demands or anything we can switch you right away if things are not working because you only use our platform once and so we have this like two-sided, like the network effect. And we actually, and I, th- this is such an overused term in the VC world, we actually do have a network effect because the more customers we have, the more partners we have. And so we know for one, where to pair part people, the brands with the partners, and then it just strengthens the whole network, which is really, really valuable. And that's something that no individual brand, I don't care who you are, uh, even today, I would say, I'd say for any brand that's doing less than $20 million uh, in sales, there's no way you could your operations team could do what we're doing today, uh, nor should it actually be focused on it. And, and we could actually give you more leverage, even an operations team, to focus on all of the other things. So today, a lot of the stuff that we don't do, uh, inventory, forecasting, de- and demand planning, which I would argue is one of the biggest reasons that a lot of these brands go out of business. They don't know exactly how much to order from the supplier. Um, And that's like in in these GDC brands, what they have is they have a negative cash flow cycle. So they have to put up the capital first before they make the sales. And so um, we're, we're working with brands and giving them best practices. And and this is not a product we have today but it's really just what we suggest to them. You should really like the best brands in the world are the ones that have the, the shortest amount of cash to their suppliers um, and know, and it's all data based um, how much that you should be ordering. I, we've, we've seen brands that have years of inventory based on their sales that they thought that their product was going to take off. And so working with somebody like us, we really want to be your outsource operations arm of your company. Um, and those are the things that we can really help from in, inception for anybody who's really looking to grow to, I'd say today, mid market, but then we, we want to continue to expand to um, larger, like hundred million, two hundred million, five hundred million hundred million, 200 million, 500 million brands. Eventually that's kind of the, um, the, the eventual vis- vision of the business.
0: You you mentioned uh, Kevin that a lot of these DTC brands won't go through the marketplaces. Why not? Why why wouldn't they just use Amazon or, or or the others?
1: Yeah, so so I think that um, for for selling, I think that uh, Amazon. I'd say I'd say that these brands should sell on Amazon if you are a category leader. So if you have the cheapest battery batteries, <laughs> um, you should go on there. There's actually been uh, I can't remember the, the name of the company. there, there was a, a very very cheap company, uh, a cheap camera company. It was like twenty dollars for it was just like a, a camera you put around your house, and it came from people who were at, at Amazon and they made it, and it went straight up to the top of the list. You, you searched um, household camera and, and and went straight up. So like that's the reason you should sell on Amazon. Um, the reason that you should not use at like the a, a, a Amazon fulfillment services, so uh, FBA for anybody who, who knows that, is really the lack of customization. So for one, they really don't work at all with um, uh, direct-to-consumer sales channels at all. Uh, so well, if you want to, good luck trying to use FBA to to get it into your hands of your customers that you sold on Shopify or e-commerce or, or whoever. But also I think that what we offer um, and, and why also a, a lot of these um, uh, 3PLs and warehouses exist um, and why we're creating this network of them is that there's a lot of customization that goes into every single brand. Um, it's stuff like mark material uh, that may rotate. Uh, a lot of warehouses actually cannot handle that at all. Uh, it's things like returns. Um, sounds simple enough. A lot of warehouses cannot handle it at all. Um, it's things like uh, the selling so many different SKUs, like just the makeup of the warehouse. They they literally just don't have like the actual racks that are configured to do all those things. And I know all of these different things from from building ship, and we built our own warehouse and. And our own software, and, and and all of these different things that you need to, to to have, and also there's a lot of things that we're working on as well that that go into returns, for example. Like why why does your um, uh, today if you go to a lot of DG, most UDC brands, like why are you emailing somebody like to get a return? They're they're you're saying you want to return something. They're sending back your label. Um, and th- that, that, that's just wasting what you, you wouldn't, you now as a brand need to manage a lot of those different things. Um, and so what, what we actually see is that the, there's a ton of customization that a lot of these brands want, and it's not a one size fits all at all for any of these brands. And so that's what we're really building. We're really building the ability that you don't need to, focus a lot on this and also we'll give your operations teams and also we deal with engineering teams as well. Uh, We also have an API that that you you could uh, punch stuff into if if that's what you want to do. We have have a lot of custom things. And so I think that that's what we've really also seen. I think that's like the next generation of e-commerce because for you to stand out as a brand, um, you need to differentiate yourself and the way people receive it the emails they receive, the return mechanisms, all these different things um, are how you really stand out. And I think that um, this next generation of retail, that's going to be even more important. And so that's what we're, we're trying to to help all these different
0: entrepreneurs uh, power. Totally. That's a great place to, 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 to wrap. For, for people who want to learn uh, more about uh, about Airhouse, or follow your work more broadly, where can you point them to? Uh, Airhouse.io. Awesome. Great, Kevin. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a great episode. Yeah, thanks so much, Eric. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.